All right, welcome back. We're gonna keep on plugging away. Last week we made it through an entire lesson and uh, hopefully we can uh, plug away on another one this morning as well. We've talked uh, already a little bit about God the Father, specifically when we talked about the creation. And we've talked about God the Son in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we've kind of talked about quickly last time, uh, who suffers, bleeds, and dies to forgive us all of our sins. There is a third person of the Trinity as well, which is the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to talk about uh, this morning. Uh, the Holy Spirit and sanctification, which is... Uh, a fancy word in what it sounds like, but uh, it, it's pretty simple. Uh, sanctus in the Latin is holy, and you know the second part means to make. Uh, comes uh, from another Latin word to make. To make. Uh, and so to make holy is what sanctification is, or how we become holy people. And the way that happens then is through the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, creating and sustaining faith within us. So the, whole, the Holy Spirit, as we see there at the top of the page, is the third person of the Holy Trinity. He is true God with the Father and the Son. He's not lesser. Uh, he's, not, um, he's not just some power. There's some Christian heresies that teach that the Holy Spirit's just the power of God. And that's not the case. He is a person of God. And um, he's one that's talked about throughout all the pages of Scripture, but perhaps the clearest place where we know there's a Holy Spirit is from my confirmation verse, Matthew 28, uh, 19. Uh, somebody want to read that there? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Right, so baptism is done in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, one God, three persons, three persons, one God. Um, and then we also have this uh, Ananias uh, situation, Acts 5, where Satan filled your heart uh, to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds, uh, teaching us that even in the very early days of the church, the Holy Spirit was a teaching and an understanding of who God is. There are some in the world today who try to say Christianity evolved, um, that uh, as time went on, we became more and more of what we are today, adding doctrines and teachings. And that's not the case if you look at the uh, historical accounts in Scripture. And then also, they're finding more and more archaeological evidence that um, Christianity taught the things it taught way back in the very beginning. Um, I think, is it Pliny? There's a, a Roman governor. It's in, um, um, oh, what's the name of that place? Across from... Uh, Italy to the east. What's that? Vesuvius? No, no. What's the name of it? Uh, Slovenia would be where today it is, but there's a, a word they used back then. Slovenia, those places, uh, Armenia, uh, where there's a Roman governor who's talking about the things Christians believed, and he's writing the emperor Trajan to say, what do I do about these Christians? Uh, should I just kill them right away, or should we put them on trial and then kill them? And um, the things that he's listing there match up with what we believe and teach and confess even today. So the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is mentioned in Scripture and has been a teaching of the church from the very beginning. 
Um, the Holy Spirit is promised to be sent uh, to create and sustain faith in us by Jesus. Um, and that happens throughout the Gospel of John especially, uh, as well as then on... Um, the Ascension Day and whatnot. And so uh, John chapter 14 is a part of what's called the high priestly prayer, uh, the words of Jesus right before he's arrested. And uh, John 14, 15 to 18, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And he's speaking there kind of in a weird way because he's speaking as God. And he's saying, I'm going to send you the spirit of truth, the helper, or in the Greek, the word is paraclete, um, uh, somebody else who will continue to call out to you and teach you uh, about the truth that is found in who God is. Um, and that continues then in verses 25 and 27. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. Uh, he's soon to be arrested and crucified and ascended. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, the Father is sending. Uh, and in other places it says as well that Jesus sends him or will send him when he's in heaven. Uh, God promises the Holy Spirit will be there to do what? Teach you all things and bring into your remembrance all that I have said to you. Um, all the things that Christ has said, the Holy Spirit's going to say. All the things that Christ said, the Holy Spirit will help you remember. The Holy Spirit, in other words, uh, as is made clear in other places, is always, always, always attached to God's word. Where God's word is, in his truth and purity, there the Holy Spirit is, which is why we hold God's word so high and want to hear it so often and, and study it in depth. That's why the new members class takes, you know, eight months to go through or whatever. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. Because where there's the word of God, the Holy Spirit is there creating and sustaining faith and so we want to have as much of the word as possible so that the holy spirit is always there working um let's see here let's go to acts 2 at the bottom of the page would somebody read that one for us please when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All right, and here we have the day where... In a way, you could say it's the founding of the church in the sense that it's the day the apostles begin to go out preaching and teaching God's word. And the day begins with the arrival of the Holy Spirit, who descends from heaven as fiery tongues. Um, and when it says fiery tongues there, it means, you know, when you have a fire in your fireplace, the little tongues up there, it doesn't mean like 
flying tongues that are on fire, okay? Um, fire tongues. And comes and rests on each of the apostles and gives them the ability to speak in other languages. Um, there is some misinterpretation of that among Christians today. Uh, some who think there's some special heavenly language that we have to learn to be Christians. And that's not what this is saying. The word in the Greek is glossa, which means a language. And then also in Acts 2, it tells us what those languages are. The language of Parthians and Medes and Elamites and Romans and all these things. It lists them all. They're all languages that were existent at the time and most of which we still know quite a bit about today. And so they are real languages that the apostles are given to speak for the purpose of preaching and teaching about Jesus, pointing people to Christ. And so as the Spirit comes on them, when they preach the word, the Spirit goes out in that word to create faith in all the people who will hear. And that's then the apostles go out and begin to preach and teach uh, so that that Holy Spirit can create and sustain faith, which kind of leads us then to the next part on the top of the next page. What's the Holy Spirit work in people? What's he do? Uh, how does he bring salvation uh, to the people? And uh, the way he does that is spelled F-A-I-T-H, faith. Um, that's what the Holy Spirit works. Um, so before we get onto faith, any questions about our real quick general overview of who the Holy Spirit is? Okay, good. Um, as Lutherans, we teach, as we think Scripture does, the Holy Spirit's always attached to the Word. He's not just floating around like we have to find Him and grab a hold of Him. But where the Word is, there He's present. And he works faith. What is faith? Faith, number one, receives the forgiveness of sins. And somebody read Romans 3, 28. For we hold that one is justified by faith, apart from works of the law. All right. One is made right in God's eyes by faith, not by works of the law. It's not based on what you do uh, that you get into heaven. It's rather based upon uh, what Jesus has done and given to you by the Holy Spirit and the faith that then clings to what Jesus has done as well. Um, as it says then in the end of John 3.16, whoever believes or has faith in him should not perish but have eternal life. Um, faith receives what Jesus does on the cross. Faith clings to it. Uh, I like that word maybe better because um, I wear dress pants every day. And in the wintertime in North Dakota, there is about 0% humidity in the air. And what do dress pants do when you're walking around in North Dakota, they cling to your leg, right? Static cling, and they just slowly climb their way up, uh, and you keep pulling them down, and they keep coming up. That's what our faith does to Jesus. It's not like the pants are doing something to stick to my leg. It just happens. Same thing with our faith. It just sticks us to Jesus, and we're stuck with him so that where he is, we may be also. Uh, what is faith? Number two, faith is given to us by the Holy Spirit and only through the Holy Spirit's work. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, can somebody uh, read that one? 
Therefore, I want you to understand that no one is speaking in the spirits of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. All right. What is it that gives us the ability to confess our faith? It is the Holy Spirit. One can't say, Jesus is Lord, except the Holy Spirit being there in them and creating and sustaining that faith. Now, um, it, it goes beyond that. It's all of our confessions of faith. Everything we say about Jesus uh, comes from the work of the Holy Spirit in us, working through the Word to teach us and uh, bring us up so that we know who Christ is and what He's done. Um, 1 Corinthians 2 the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are fully to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. All right. Without the Holy Spirit, our natural person, the way we are apart from God, can't accept God's teachings. We can't understand them. We can't wrap our minds around them apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, they don't make any sense, and we can't believe them unless God is the one who's allowing us to believe and creating that faith uh, in him. And so that's what Paul's saying there. It must have been an issue with the Corinthian church because he mentions it several times throughout um, the book. And the reason that the natural man or uh, a regular guy apart from faith can't understand God is from Ephesians 2 here. Um, and somebody want to read Ephesians 2? And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. You were dead in trespasses and sins. How many... Um, Dead people, have you seen that have gotten up and said something or done something? <laughs> right. <laughs> I know it's kind of a weird question, right? Three? Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> Ooh, I don't even know. It, none, right? Um, dead things are dead. I have... Um, as I've, since I've been a pastor, I have performed 55 funerals by myself. Never once did the person who was deceased say anything, do anything, move at all. They are dead. Paul writes here in Ephesians 2 that you are spiritually dead in your sin. Which means, spiritually speaking, what can you do to save yourself? Nothing. Nothing. You're dead. What you need is the Holy Spirit to come with those paddles or whatever, right? And put them on your spiritual chest and shock your heart so that it starts beating again. Uh, and that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does. Uh, we can't accept Jesus or come to him or please him because we're dead, spiritually speaking. The only way we can come back to life is if God works that in us. And then John 15, I think, says that idea very, very clearly. Um, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. 
It's important for us to understand faith begins with God's work. He works faith, and when he's created faith, we're alive then to serve and to love and to do all the other things. But faith always begins with God and is given as a gift, and then we respond uh, afterwards. That's not always what's taught in, in the church, especially here in the United States. I was baptized in a church body that is not Lutheran here in Lincoln. And when I was 12, I, before they would baptize me, I had to stand up in front of the church and say, I accept Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior and desire to follow him. I don't remember what all I had to say, but that's the way it worked, as if it was my work first and then God worked after I asked him to or um, whatnot. We understand that to be not according to Scripture, but instead the other way around. God works first. Questions, comments? Uh, what you just said just a second ago, you, know, you and I in our college days, we heard a lot of our fellow students say accept. Yeah. We <laughs> heard that a lot. Uh, just sad because we went to a Lutheran college, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Uh, Sometimes it's hard to find the right word to use. So if we shouldn't use the word accept. What is it that we should say when we actually come to, and maybe I'm using this word already, when we actually come to believe? What is it we should say? We, we, we don't say we accept Jesus into our heart, but should we say, I believe instead? That's, I mean, we do say I believe in the creed. I think the trouble is uh, with our English language. And, you know, I don't know, um, maybe Ramon will be able to tell us about Spanish as well, but English doesn't do very well with what's called the passive voice, where something is being done to you. And in the scriptures, in the Greek, there is a passive voice where uh, an activity, a verb, is being done to you apart from uh, anything that you're doing, and oftentimes believing, epistuo, uh, is passive. That the faith is being done to you, the believing is being done to you. And in English, it's really hard to do that uh, because it adds a lot of words. In the Greek, it's all just one word, and they change a little bit, and it gives it that passive voice. In the, um, in the English, we would have to say... Um, Believing was being done to me, and that is awkward English, right? And in the Greek, it's not awkward, and they use it all the time, but we don't in English because our language makes it awkward. And so I think we have a difficulty talking about it because of our language. In the, the Greek, we, we have that word except being used in the passive voice that we're being made to receive what God is doing. We think of accept as something that is our action, our doing, and that's a part of our verbs and the way that they work in our language. I don't, is Spanish the same way? Do you have a passive voice? Yeah. Is it easy to go into the passive voice as opposed to the active? Yeah, okay. Spanish is one of the ones I'm not very good at, Ramon, so. <laughs> Um, it's, it's the same, and we also have the same uh, controversial. Yeah. By saying uh, accepting or. Right. Hmm. 
And, and that's when we think about, that's why we, we were talking about the fact that faith begins with God's work so that when we use language that maybe if we're just using the English by itself might be ambiguous, if we understand that faith is God's work and not our work, it helps us to put that language that's not perfect into a framework that helps us understand it. And so that's why, for example, the third article of the Creed and its meaning in the Catechism help to build a framework that can understand how faith happens. And we say, I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. But instead, and we're putting the ball in God's court, the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, and sanctified and kept me in the one true faith. It's God's work, not ours. And that frees us up then to use language, so long as we've explained it a little bit. Not easy to do, as you can tell by... Yeah. He's talking about it for 10 minutes here, right? Does um, all the verbs. Yes. Gospel is when God is doing the verbs, uh, and law is when we're supposed to do the verbs. And gospel is what creates faith, so it's God's work. Yeah, thanks, Wayne. Are the... Is accepting, acceptance and believing interchangeable? Because, I mean, if that person over there has blue hair, I accept the fact that they have blue hair. Or you can say, I believe that they have blue hair. Are they interchangeable? Once God has created faith, the new man that lives within us desires to stay alive and to keep in the faith. And so... That's where it gets to be tricky, and the formula of Concord talks about this a little bit. Maybe a way to put it simply is this, right? Um, you have an arm, Jim, right? Um, did you make it grow there? No. No. Who did? God. God. Now, you can choose to reject that arm and get out a meat saw <laughs> and chop it off, right? Yeah, and and throw you know, maybe you couldn't throw it away then you'd have to kick it away, but you can remove your arm from yourself. Can you make it grow back again? Nope. No, but a doctor could theoretically reattach it, right? Theoretically. Theoretically, depending on how brutal you did, right? That's the same thing with faith. We didn't put it there. God did. We. Um, as Christians in the faith, we are accepting the fact that it's there, and we are choosing not to cut it off and throw it away in that regard. Because we have faith, we could change our mind and cut it off and throw it away. We couldn't put it back there. Only God can do that again. And maybe that's a way to think about the terminology being used. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that actually leads into another question I have. I'm sorry, I keep, that's okay. keep stopping you from, from your... You want to know why new members class is taking so long? <laughs> so, the Holy Spirit is given to us. Mm -hmm. So, it's not by anything that we're doing that we believe. So, what do we say about those who do not believe? Are they not being given the Holy Spirit? Is God ignoring them entirely? What's, what's going on there? First, we have to say this that we cannot discern God's mind or what he's doing or how he's working. What um, Jesus says in John's Gospel to Nicodemus as well, the, the spirit blows where it wishes. Okay, Meaning, I cannot determine how the Holy Spirit is going to create faith in my sermon. 
right? What I do know is this. God promises that where his word is in its truth and purity, there he's going to work. Um, and he'll work for everybody according to whatever they need, so that in the end, all the people who are going to be saved will be saved. So my job as a preacher uh, is to give the word in its truth and purity and trust that God's going to keep his end of the deal however he needs to. That's really good news for me as a preacher because it's hard when you see somebody who is rejecting the word mm -hmm. and it is easy to take it personally and say, what did I do wrong? I, I, can't, I can't do that. I have to say, here's what God's word says and I'm going to say what God's word says and trust that God's going to work when and how he wishes. Now, you might reject God's word and the person sitting next to you might receive it with thanksgiving and joy. Um, I am not in charge of how that works. That's God's end of the deal. If it's God that's doing it, and so I'll leave God in charge of it. How's that for sidestepping it and, and putting the ball back where it needs to be? Some of the ways that I've, that's been described to me as God gives you this gift, and you kind of talked briefly on this already. God gives you the, the gift, and you can either take it or leave it. Mm -hmm. and that's that's kind of how I see it as well, and how I've told some people as well about why some don't believe because for whatever reason right. they have it, but they decide to reject it. They take they cut off their arm and don't reattach it. And and the hard thing with it is, you know, we like to say you can either take the gift or reject it. When we're spiritually dead, and the gift is um, the electric jolt that brings your heart back. When you're the dead person, you don't get to <laughs> decide whether you reject it, right? You don't see a dead person laying on the table in the ER saying, don't put the paddles on me. You can pick up the scalpel right? if you're alive and stuck or something. <laughs> well, you could, right? And that, that's, that's the thing. Um, that is completely in God's realm, and we can't... We can't even try to understand it. God hasn't given it to us to understand. What we can say is God works in his word. Uh, maybe, maybe say that's the paddles that uh, give the jolt. Uh, and his sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And some people who hear the word won't be brought back to life. And it's sad. God wishes that they would be. He wants them to be saved, but they won't. How's that for? Okay, that's that's real happy, right? The, the good news is is that we hear the word and we believe and we are brought back. And even that itself is a mystery. Why did that happen? Praise be to God that it did. But that's God's work, not mine, and so I can't I can't understand it. All right, number three. What is faith? Faith is sure of heaven for Christ's sake. Uh, this is one that I think Americans struggle with today. If we were to ask the question, are you going to be in heaven of 50 people out on the street today, what do you think is the answer that we would get most often? We'll find out. Right. <laughs> we'll find out or... I hope so. 
or I think so. Um, faith knows so, right? Um, Titus, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. God said, you are going to be in heaven. That's his word to you. That's his promise to you. And since it's God's promise to you, when the question is asked, are you going to be in heaven, you can answer, absolutely, because God said so. And once again, that's a place where we put the ball in God's court. God says, I'm going to take care of it for you. And so we just take God at his word when he says, you're going to be saved. Since God says it, it's, it's true, it's going to happen, it's the reality. Uh, he never lies. He never breaks a promise. Uh, and, and actually, I think in all the Old Testament, you see the things that happen to people and, and in places. All of that is God working to keep his promise of a Savior uh, that was given in the very beginning when, when we fell into sin. Uh, we had this text um, on uh, New Year's Day. I'm sure that neither death nor life, angels, rulers, things present, things to come, powers, heights, depths, anything in all of creation can separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. We can be sure because God says we're saved. And so are you going to be in heaven? Yes. God says so. And who am I to argue with God? All right. Questions on that one? So the promise is for everybody? Because, yeah, the promise is for everybody. There's not a single person in the world who is beyond God saving. Where the trouble comes in is when we say, thanks, but no thanks, God, or I don't really trust your promise, God, and we try to, we trust in ourselves instead. And that's the sin that now condemns is rejecting that promise of God and trying to find salvation either in ourselves or despairing of it and not finding it anywhere. Um, I don't know, does that make sense? Um, maybe this is along the same line here, Ramon, number four. Faith is seen in the way the Christian lives. And this is the book of James deals with this a lot. And it is difficult to kind of wade our way through it unless we find that we were the dead person, that God is made alive. Um, how do I say this? If you are dead on the table and the doctor brought you back to life, the next day are you going to go jump out of an airplane uh, without a pair. Did you see this guy who did this lately? He jumped out of an airplane without a parachute. And then, you know, he aimed himself to this big giant net and he hit the net and that stopped him and caught him, right? Wow. And, and it was this big thing because if he, if he makes a mistake or there's a breeze or whatnot, he'll miss the net and he'll be dead, right? You can watch it on YouTube when you go home, <laughs> okay? If you were dead and had been brought back, would you go and do that the next day? 
Hopefully not. <laughs> right. Yeah, probably not. Um, a Christian who was spiritually dead and is brought back to life wants to stay alive and therefore lives in a way to try and stay alive. What is it that kills? Sin. Sin. So, because we're Christians that have been brought back to life and we wish to stay alive, what thing are we going to try and keep away from? Sin. Now, the, the challenge is this, is that within us, there's a war going on between the old sinful man and the new sinless man or woman, right? Um, that's fighting back and forth. And sometimes the sinful man gets the upper hand, right? And uh, we do things that we know are sinful, uh, and sometimes we don't even know the things we're doing are sinful, and we still do them, they're wrong anyways. And that battle is going on all the time. But because we're Christians, the new nature, the new Adam, is always there trying to avoid sin and stay alive by God's grace. And that battle goes on all the days of our life until finally we move on from this world, either through death or Christ's second coming. Our old sinful nature will be dead then for good, and all that will be left is our perfect holy nature uh, left to live. What that means then also is, because I'm a Christian, uh, and I'm seeking not to sin, to stay alive, when I... Uh, see my neighbor in need, and God's word says, um, you shall not kill, which means we shouldn't stab to death, but we also should help and support our neighbor in every physical need. When I see my neighbor in need, what do I do? Help them. Help them, right? So I have four kids, and I see that my child needs a diaper change, right? Which maybe seems like a silly thing, but what's the diaper change do for my child? Clean them. Yeah, so that they continue living their life. It, it provides a need for a need that they have. And so as a Christian parent, I'm happy to do that. Um, <laughs> happy to do that, right? Um, but that's the reality, and that's maybe a simple within the family way that we do that as well, but it goes beyond that. When I see my neighbor who is hungry, right? What do we have in the front of the church here that gets filled and picked up all the time? We have a big barrel of food that we provide. When we see our, our neighbors in Venezuela, uh, we have a connection through Ramon with that um, are just, boy, where do you even start with all the challenges that they're facing with inflation and no jobs and no food? Uh, we say, how can we help? And we send funds down there to help them. And uh, all these neighbors that God has put into our life, our faith then seeks to serve them and to care for them. Uh, and those good works of caring for our neighbor flow out of the fact that first God has given us faith. If we were not alive in faith, how could we serve our neighbor in a beneficial way? 
That's what James is talking about here in James 2. Would somebody read that? I know it's a little longer, but James 2. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. All right. Jesus talks about this as well uh, as a fruit tree, that a good tree bears fruit and a bad tree does not. And what the idea is, is that because we have faith, we do good works. And it just happens, and you, it happens without you even knowing it, right? Um, I don't have any kids in diapers anymore, but when I changed my kids' diapers, did I realize that I was doing a good work in God's eyes? Was I like wiping their behind and saying, ah, now I'm going to get to heaven because I've cleaned their behind, right? I do now. Right. <laughs> well, um, that's not the way the Christian mind works. We don't bring a bunch of food and give it to the, uh, the city mission saying, now God's going to look at me and get me into heaven because I gave food, right? Because we never have any certainty in that. How many diapers do I have to change to be good enough to please God? How much food do I have to provide, right? Who knows? But I am saved by what Christ has done, and therefore I'm free to serve that neighbor and to provide for their need. And I do that uh, as a Christian. So, so I can hear people out there. We must be out of time. Um, any very short questions? Otherwise, write it down. We can ask it next week and go on. So, Pastor, with them, um, if you have someone that's like really doing some really bad stuff, Mm -hmm. what's the best way to contact somebody like that just in prayer and that's a, a long question yeah the For thing so yeah so like someone that you love that that has done some terrible things we have to know where what are they thinking where i mean are they despairing and saying there's no way that god can care for me in which case we say God died for all sin, even yours. Um, are they saying, I don't really care what God says, and I'm going to keep on doing this bad thing? In which case we say, God's word says what you're doing puts you outside the faith. It hurts your faith. Um, that's not good. And then we can follow up with the gospel. And so there's lots and lots of different things. But the place to start is to say, what's God's word say about who that person is and what they're feeling and struggling with and how does God's word apply to whatever is going on in their life. And that's where knowing lots of God's word so we know how to approach those people is, is important. And sometimes people just won't listen. We still speak God's word and we do. Then if, if we speak God's word and they're ignoring it, we pray to God that God would work faith through his word however is necessary. And it, it's a difficult thing, but we trust where God promises to work is in his word and in his sacraments. So how do we bring those before those people? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a 
First Corinthians 12.3. Yeah. Uh, you know, as a painter, I work with a lot of people, you know, and I work with that company, and that guy was running. Uh, he talked really bad, okay, mm -hmm. cursing all day. So me and my friend, she was Catholic, and I was uh, working with her, and we talked, we were talking about Jesus and uh, the Holy Spirit and uh, the Holy Trinity, right? Mm -hmm. So that guy is listening to us, he said, cursing us, he said, hey, you guys, you need to be separated because you're talking all the day about, mm -hmm. about the, uh, he was tired and he couldn't say that word. Uh, he mean Jesus. And then he woke up and he said, that Lord. <laughs> yep. And I said, wow. <laughs> yep. Fulfilling exactly what Paul writes there, huh? Yep. Yeah. And uh, I, we know that, well, me and my friend, we know later on that they were involved in um, witchcraft and those people cursing all the time. I said, wow, that's a really different between us as a Christians, you know, and those people separate. But yeah. he couldn't say that word. Right. He he was, I know that. He, he's not tarot. Uh, he could talk to us, you know, fluently. But when that time comes, he wanna say, you talking all day about that Jesus, we couldn't say it. Right. It, yeah, God's word's amazing. It perfectly describes what we experience in our lives, doesn't it? No. All right, I, we have to close here, because otherwise, Pastor Poppy uh, will give me a hard time if we don't start on time, so. All right. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.